Spiritual Life Center. We greet you in the name of all that is good, all that is sacred, and in the warm and loving energy of this community, Spiritual Life Center. If you're joining us for the first time, we especially want to welcome you because we know that you are not here by accident. You're here by divine appointment. Thank you for joining us on your unique path today, and we hope you enjoy this special message from this past Sunday's service. Hang on to the world as it spins around. If it's going to spin around, you've got to hang on. Just don't let that spin get you down. Just, how does it say, take it from me. Someday we'll all be free. Well, welcome to our Spiritual Life Center experience for this July 4th. Sunday, and I was mentioning earlier, of all the years I've been doing ministry, I can't remember July 4th actually falling on a Sunday. It may have, but, you know, I don't remember if it did. And thus, you know, in case you didn't know, it was July the 4th. We, we have the red, white, and denim dress code for today. So uh, we're celebrating that independence. You know, as we're leading up to today, I, I remember uh, an interview that I happened to see at least part of it. And it was a young woman being interviewed, and her name was Yanni Park. And she was telling her tale of falling under the tyranny of the country that she is from, Korea, North Korea. And she has some controversial political positions, but I'm not going to discuss that right now. But she said something that caught my attention. And it made me want to go, hmm, what does that really mean? She says she grew up, you know, where there was no equivalent word for revolution. There was no concept or context for her to, or any other people there, to grasp what freedom was in, in relation to revolution. And if anybody kind of got out of a line, they would be gone. They didn't have any internet, they don't have any independent news. And apparently, she said, you were, they were trapped in a paradigm in which the leadership of the society told her and the people what to do and what to think. Nevertheless, you know, uh, this young woman and her family was able to leave the country, escape the country. I think they eventually went to China and then the United States. So let me know that despite living in a society in which there was no concept to understand what freedom was, at least it wasn't talked about. There must have been some sort of divine discontent that led them to want to be free and to break away from that society. There was a yearning within them to move beyond something that existed that did not represent the oppressive environment that she grew up in. It may even be innate within us. 
I mentioned earlier that, you know, I've always kind of staying on the up and up on what's happening in the latest social media trends, and I'm probably behind in this, because my, my son was introducing me to another social media phenomenon called TikTok. Those, and, and, and I'll tell you, that is, when I want some comic relief, I have all kinds of stuff. There are people from all over the world doing all kinds of little skits in about a minute or so. Some of them, you know, like, you know people just want to be seen, but some of them are absolutely hilarious. And there was a series of uh, skits about little babies escaping from their cribs. You know, they were just kind of like, you know, because the parents would have, you know, all kinds of barriers to stop them from, you know, either maybe a gate in front of a, a stairwell or at the top so they wouldn't either go up or fall down. And, and they would show a, a baby going underneath it and climbing over it and unbuckling it. It's supposed to be baby proof, but they figure out a way to get around it. Another baby was unbuckling a, a safety belt in the back of the car. And then there was one baby that, that had a, you know, really had like a Mission Impossible kind of uh, experience because they couldn't understand that in the morning the baby would just be up walking around the house. And, 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 and apparently what she would do, she would get all of her, her blankets and she would ball them up and she would throw them on the, on the ground and make like a launching pad for them, a falling pad, and she would climb over the railing and just fall off right onto the, onto the pads as if she was a World Wrestling Federation wrestler, you know? And then she would get up and walk around and, and didn't know where she was going, but she just knew she had to get out of that crib. So there must be something innate within them. But there's a freedom that's probably more potent, more powerful, more crucial than our physical freedom as important as that is. And that freedom originates from within us. There's a French poet and writer, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, I think it's pronounced something like that. Close enough. And he said that, I know but one freedom, and that is the freedom of the mind. And it reminded me of a, a young boy who was a juvenile at the time when he was jailed and sentenced for 15 years unjustly. He kind of got caught up and he didn't have really great representation. And he knew that, you know, within any day now, somebody was going to come and unlock the, the, the jail cell and let him out. And, and it never happened. And for the first three years, he was expecting to get out and it never happened. Because he was expecting somebody to come along and say, you know, this is a mistake. You're free to go. But during those first three years when that never happened, he was resentful. He was angry. He was upset. He was very disruptive of what was going around him. And he was disciplined a lot. And then when he reached that third year, something within him clicked. He decided to look in the mirror. And he decided that he was going to eradicate, eliminate anything within his soul that created the conditions for him to end up where he was. He decided to, to release all within his consciousness that would bring forth any kind of manifestation in his life such as this. And so after those three years, for the next 12 years of his sentence or whatever time he had left, he worked on himself. He would not allow his past experience to come in the present moment. He constantly checked himself, so he became free while he was in prison. 
and he became aware of the great power that was within him. His talents began to flourish. He started focusing on writing poetry. And he said, words can make me feel freedom. So for those 12 years, although his body was incarcerated, he said he was a free man. And when he walked out of the the, the prison, he had a Buddhist smile on his face. And he was wondering why everyone outside of the jail still seemed like they were in prison. They were so concerned about the nicks on their cars and people rushing in front of them in traffic and you know, telling them they're number one and, and people stepping on flowers to, to get to the meditation experience and wondering why all the people outside of the walls of the prison were acting as if they were in jail. Many individuals may be outside the walls of an incarcerated place, but they're still in bondage. Because most people are reactors dreaming that they're free. Most people are reliving or living from their past, their past experience, their past hurt, their past shame, their past denials. They're living from their history. And they're bringing that history into the present moment and reacting to things of the world, thinking and believing that they're actually free. But they're merely reacting to circumstance. They're reacting to something in their past and not letting it go. We're talking about mastering freedom. And mastering freedom is something else. Mastering freedom is, it really comes from the realization that this presence that we call God but is known by so many names is at our center. It's never been hurt, harmed, or endangered in any well, cannot be moved. And allowing that to be the activity of our awareness. So regardless of what's happening in the external world, there's an immediate and prolonged response that enhances life. There's an immediate and prolonged response that is beautifying, it's healing, it's uplifting. There's a response that is dynamic. And of course, it takes inner strength to be free on that level. It takes inner strength not to react and not go to what is popular or faddish or allowing advertisers to convince us to buy things that we do not need. You know, I was away uh, last week and I was in... Florida meeting with my sister and brother and then from different parts of the country because we went to our stepmom's house because she's in an assisted living facility now. And we went to the house in order to, you know, to, to prep it for sale or prep it for, for rent. And, you know, I figured, you know, she's kind of a small house. It's not no big deal, but I forgot that she'd been accumulating stuff for like 50 years. <laughs> and there's a lot of stuff in that little place. And the interesting thing about it, we went through the stuff, I just tease her about this. She had stuff that was brand new, had never been opened, even had the tags still on them. So clearly she was buying stuff she did not need. And if I, she were willing to admit it, she was probably living at least on an unconscious level in a reality shaped by someone else. And was not really making a free choice, but somehow subliminally responding or reacting to what others thought was important for her to have. To freely choose. We have to be aware. Because without awareness, there's really no choice. And choice is really the key to mastering our freedom. And that's what it's all about. 
And so to get there, we have to untether ourselves from the reality that others have maybe have placed upon us and begin to step into that unchanging presence we call God, the oasis of God awareness that we all have. You know, perhaps I could break it down, we, you know, and we all woke up this morning, you woke up this morning, and maybe we moved through the course of our day this morning or during the week. And sometimes if we're consciously aware, we realize that we're living a reality that someone else has shaped for us. Maybe someone has told us, you know, what you could or could not do. Maybe that's based upon your gender. Maybe it's based upon your ethnicity. Maybe it's based upon sexual orientation. Maybe it's based upon where you were born. And, and maybe there are certain ceilings that you will not be able to go beyond. Maybe we're living out the parental fantasy or teacher fantasy or societal fantasy, even if those things are no longer present in our life. But mastering freedom means that we break the bonds that are holding us to someone else's reality. And to set ourselves free so that the spirit of the living God that is who and what we really are can express itself through us. Ernest Holmes was a founder of religious science. He wrote in one of his books I read a while back. He said that all of nature, all of God, is conspiring for the freedom of the individual in order that it may unloose its own energy. That all of nature, that all of the universe is conspiring for our freedom. That it may unloose its own energy and we can find a place for it to be expressed through us. So mastering freedom is something that we must cultivate. Just like an athlete cultivates their particular talent or as a, all the musicians have been cultivating their talents over time, Feeling that if, even though we've been given certain things by the Spirit of God, we have to cultivate it until it becomes one with them. I recall reading about some letters from the Smithsonian Institute. And the letters were from an enslaved woman. And in one of the letters she was writing about her experience... And how she was constantly beaten by her overseer, a female overseer. And in this particular letter that she wrote, she was talking about rather than recoil or react to the assaults that she was fe feeling and experiencing, she decided to stand her ground and she just stood there and just looked into the eyes of that person. She looked as almost beyond the eyes of the person and got looked and saw the soul of that individual. And something happened. Because from that moment on, that woman, that overseer, never did anything like that to her again. There was a transformation in the relationship. And that enslaved woman had a transcendent experience of the presence of God within her. She touched that eternity that was within her own being and responded from that level of freedom. And therefore, there was no malice. There was no hatred. There was no anything like that, no reaction. She simply looked within the eyes of that person and something happened to change the nature of their relationship. We're developing that same kind of structures within ourselves. Structures in which we live from a place which is unhurtable. We're living from a place that's never touched by the worldly conditions. The world may be spinning. 
but we don't lose our centeredness. We can do this. So we always look for ways and means and strategies that we begin to master our freedom. And we get a clue from one of the scriptural references in Philippians, the second chapter and the fifth verse, in which it says, I think from Apostle Paul, who I had a lot of problems with, but he said some good things from time to time. Um, <laughs> but that's a whole other series of courses. But, but he said, you must have the same mind in you as was in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And one of the key foundational strategies that he taught and practiced was that of, of, of a prayer and mostly meditation and observing our own thought, observing what is coming through our awareness. Because as the Buddha said, all is thought, all of our experience comes from that. And based upon our inner relationship with the power and the presence of God, we stop and we sense our oneness with that presence. And we begin to have a private tryst with this invisible, ineffable, unmovable something. And we begin to pull our attention away from the world. And that divine knowingness of the presence of God becomes active in our awareness. And then we move into that fitful world, into that spinning world once again. And we're different individuals. And we become a transformative agent in the very world in which we live. We don't let the spinning take us down. It means that we no longer react from or judge by appearances only. As the master teacher said, we are taught, as he taught, we're here to use righteous judgment. See things as they really are in spirit. And toward that end, we know that generally we hang out wherever our thoughts are going. Wherever our thoughts are going, that's where we're hanging out. That's our real home. Because regardless of what's going on in the world, we're living where our thoughts are most of the time. And mastering our free freedom means that we have communion, we have control over those thoughts. You know, this came to me when I realized you know, many years ago when I was early in my spiritual path and had an interesting mentor and spiritual teacher. And I was sharing that at that time, I don't know if you ever had this experience, maybe probably not, you know, you're on a job or an organization, and there's always that one person, that one colleague, that one coworker that just gets on your last nerve. I mean, like, every time you're in the presence of that individual, you know, my reaction was, oh, my God. Ugh, I got to get up and go to work again because that person is there. And when I talked to my mentor about this, he said, you know, it's not the person that's disturbing you. And I said, well, you don't know this person. <laughs> you have no idea. He didn't go on. But I couldn't. I had to interject right then. You don't know who this individual is. And he said, no, it's not the person that's disturbing you. It's your thoughts about that person that's disturbing you. He said, we have a choice where we're going to place our attention. We can place it on that which is valid. We can place it on that which is a real and unchangeable. We can place it on the God presence that's within us and within them. We can place it on the fact that God is our life and being. And whatever that person did or does not do cannot disturb you when you're focusing your attention on that. 
And he reiterated, it's your thoughts that torment you, not the other person. Took me a long time to kind of grasp that. I kind of go back and forth on that from time to time and wonder if it's really true. But understand, we have freedom to choose where we place our attention. So we think about, as we walk through the world, we may think about people who disturb us, figures in public who disturb us. If they're doing or not doing certain things. Those thoughts that we have about them are projected on those people and we've lost control of our awareness. Not to say we're not discerning, but we're letting it control us. And we're placing on that which is not valid. We're placing our thought and attention on that which is not real and we're resulting, we're getting the results of where our attention is. When we have control over our awareness, we keep the high watch. We maintain an unbroken unity with the presence and the power and the love of God. And that we're living and moving and having our beingness in all of the time if we choose to give it our attention. And we live in that realm. We come into harmony with the way things really are on the spiritual plane. And we move on and we move on. We move on and we grow from glory to God's glory to glory. And I think that's how we begin to master our freedom. You know, there's a lot going on in our world, country today. And today we, we celebrate, you know, independence. And of course, historically, we know it began with the American Revolution. And of course, those during that time knew what that meant. Unlike the woman from North Korea who said they didn't have a context for what that meant. And that revolution had two parts, two phenomenons. One was separating from England and declaring its independence. And the second part was founding a country, founding something new. And of course, I was, you know, as I mentioned earlier, service, I always had some fascination with, you know, history and Egyptology and kind of esoteric stuff. Still do from time to time. And if we look at our dollar bill and we look at the great seal that's on that dollar bill, it shows the, the pyramid of Giza. And, it, and the pyramid of Giza doesn't have a capstone on it. It's missing. And the archaeologists and the Egyptologists, nobody knows what happened to the capstone. But legend tells us there was a, a golden capstone originally that was painted in blue. And that represented the eye of Horus, the eye of the Christ. And when the sun hit that golden capstone, it would shine for miles around. And it was on the top of the pyramid, on top as the capstone. But, that's not, but it was not there anymore. And no one knows or can find where the capstone is. There's lots of different theories where it came from. You know, it was beneath the causeway, you know, between the pyramid and the sphinx. But understand that the founders of the country, Washington, Franklin, Jefferson, they knew something about this because they put that thing on the back of the dollar bill. Because if you look at the dollar bill, there's a capstone that's kind of removed from the top of the pyramid. And ancient legend holds that the Egyptian civilization was in major decline. And the Egyptian priests climbed to the top of that pyramid and removed the capstone. 
and they buried it because they knew that consciousness had fallen beneath the line where people should or could be when they're at their highest and their best. And they believed that the capstone would be retrieved when consciousness once again embraced its meaning. And its meaning is universal brotherhood, the eye of Horus. And we put that on our dollar bill. It's on the dollar bill. And it says on the dollar bill, the new order of the ages, with that capstone slightly removed from the pyramid. And the esoteric tales of Egypt means to put that capstone back means that we shall be in universal brotherhood. We need that in our world today. We need that in our country today. That's why Thomas Jefferson said we must always make recourse to first principle, the spirit of the living God, the divine ideas as I interpret it. And then we'll know the bright constellations which we must aspire. You know, we look around today and we see politicians, you know, say we need certain policies to be implemented, certain policies to be changed, certain policies to be eliminated. And they may surround health policies, security policies, tax policies, crime prevention policies, policing policies. While not unimportant, they are not the foundational issues we need to start from. Because all of those are just reactions to what's taking place in the outside world, the spinning world that we seek to address. But the real issues are the core ideals which make up great ideas, which the new policies and ways of being shall emerge. Amen. This country was founded on those core ideals that reflect who we can be when we are expressing the highest and best of who we really are. Did the founders manifest this? No, they did not. Many signers of the Declaration of Independence were themselves slave owners, which is in direct contradiction to the words, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men and women are created equal. So they did not say to the country, here is a perfect nation. They said, here is a blueprint for a perfect nation. Here's the, the roadmap to a perfect nation. You have to make it happen. That's us. This teaching that we're part of, a body of thought called the mature teachings, and in part of that population that realizes that it's we who must change and not the government. It's we who must change and not the world. It's we who must change. And as we weave ourselves into the fabric of the world, being in the world, but not of it, then our communities, our country, and our planet begins to be transformed. When we become willing to be that change, which is a choice. It's a choice, mind you. And we begin to grow and evolve to our greatest glory. We're becoming agents of transformation on the very planet and the very country in which we live. Because as we change, as we grow, as we expand, as we identify our true nature and being and activate that, we become the leaders, we become the vanguards of the very society in which we are living. Once we make the change, oh, the politicians will follow. They'll say it's their idea. 
but the choice is always ours. As it states on the money, in God we trust. For it is in this God presence where the true power is. It is where the truth is. And we know it's the truth that liberates us and sets us free. As we make that choice and we trust in this God presence, we become the masters of our freedom. So it is, so we let it be. Peace and blessings to you. We are grateful for the opportunity to share with you today and hope you've taken something from this Sunday's message. If you'd like to hear more from Spiritual Life Center, be sure to click subscribe on the podcast platform you're listening from. You can find out more about our community on our website at www.slcworld.org. We look forward to being a part of your continued spiritual journey. Wherever you are, God is, and all is well. Spiritual Life Center Heart. One heart.